Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 14 of the Mission Driven Budget Podcast, where our goal is to help church leaders ditch their financial stress, grow their budgets, and fund their mission one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paul Rice, and on this month's episode, we have Pastor Jeff Sage, CFO of Central Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Jeff has over 40 years of finance and accounting experience. He's a certified public accountant. He spent 20 years as the CFO of a very well-known gaming company, Anchor Gaming, and then came to work for Judd Wilhite at Central Church in Las Vegas and has been there for the last 20 years as their CFO and legacy and giving pastor. In this episode, we talk about the difference between finance teams in the corporate world and the church world. We also talk about the essentials of church finance and accounting, and we also cover why volunteers can and should be involved in managing the church finances. I hope you'll join me in gleaning from Pastor Jeff's 40 years of experience uh, in this finance and accounting world. Get your notepads out, and please enjoy my conversation with Jeff Sage. Mr. Jeff Sage, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. It's an honor to have you on. I've read a little bit about your story in Pastor Judd Wilhite's book, um, and uh, it's such a unique, such a unique background. I think uh, pastors that have transitioned out of the corporate world into the church world probably don't have a story quite as unique as you do. Uh, it's certainly unconventional. Can you give us just the high points of where you started out uh, in the corporate world and then uh, how you made that transition to uh, uh, the legacy pastor uh, over there at uh, Central Church in, in Las Vegas? Sure, happy to do so. So I started out of uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas with a, a degree in business, a major in accounting, did my time in public accounting, became a CPA which I remain today. I got into the banking industry and uh, always thought I would uh, continue my career there, but uh, I ended up with a wonderful company, a startup company called Anchor Gaming in the gaming industry, where I was fortunate to have about a 12, 13 year career under our founder. His name was Stan Fulton. He considered himself and others did too, an icon in the gaming industry. And uh, we were a diversified gaming company. We developed unique ideas based upon intellectual property. So we were kind of a darling of Wall Street and uh, and just had a robust career there as a chief financial officer, got to experience firsthand uh, what it was like to work with and around Wall Street and analysts and all of that and understand the stock market. So it was very exciting. And I came from not having any knowledge of that and learned a lot while I was there. But through the course as God would have it, uh, I was called to the church and a wonderful church in Las Vegas, Central Church, where uh, I came on as the uh, chief financial officer and treasurer uh, more than 20 years ago now. That's great. Can you tell us more about uh, the gaming industry specifically? When we first connected, you were telling me, I think that Anchor, maybe it was Anchor or I think it was Anchor that came out with one of the the more popular floor games uh, based on the Wheel of Fortune. Is that right? That's right. Uh, we had launched a game called Wheel of Gold and the uh, largest manufacturer in the industry, International Game Technology, or IGT, had an arrangement with Sony for the Wheel of Fortune trademark. And uh, we partnered up and launched what uh, has today and, and more than 20 years ago when I left was the most successful uh, gaming machine or slot machine in the history of casino gaming, uh, the Wheel of Fortune. And what made that game so unique and special, Paul, was that it was a spinning wheel on top of a slot machine. So the player would play the slot machine as they did any other slot machine, but based upon the outcome of the reels, they would have the opportunity to have the upper or secondary event spin, and that would determine uh, their bonus winnings. And that upper event, that spinning wheel, was uh, the intellectual property that we had that um, brought IGT to the table. And resulted in a very successful partnership, which years later, it was so successful that they couldn't afford not to uh, come to some type of agreement to buy us. Wow. And, uh, they did in a $1.3 billion acquisition, they acquired Anchor Gaming and they being a public company with a CFO of their own, we didn't need two of us. So that allowed me the opportunity to um, meet with church leadership and help uh, together uh, decide on maybe what was the future that God had in store for me. I, I had no uh, inkling that I would uh, end up 
on church staff and, mm-hmm. you know, about eight, nine years uh, ago, become an ordained pastor and be leading uh, uh, ministries and teams and volunteers as I am today. That's that's amazing. Such a unique, such a unique story that uh, maybe you don't hear about uh, really anywhere else except for Las Vegas, right? So, I want to dig into that a little bit and and some of your experiences. I'd love to. I always like to bridge the gap, you know, between how people's uh, corporate experience, how their past experience has influenced how they do ministry uh, in their current role as a church leader. So, I just wanted to hit on a couple things here uh, because it's. This might be an unconventional or, I don't think controversial, but just an unconventional uh, thought here. What can churches learn from the gaming industry? You spent all that time there, and then now you have crossed over into the church world. Two people might consider those uh, organizations kind of unlikely bedfellows. But I think that there's probably some lessons that you learned and some things that you learned in the gaming industry that churches could be gleaning from as well. Can you unpack maybe one or two of those things that, that you might say has uh, has crossed over with you? Uh, yes, for sure. And, you know, you asked specifically about what churches can learn from the gaming industry. And I think um, I would venture to say the more important question is what can churches learn from any industry right yeah um, any industry that is relevant or uh legitimate or you know we can offer anything to to churches and, and i would put the gaming industry in that category so um I, I think any successful organization has things that it can lend itself to churches and and you know in my area of accounting and finance and 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 giving and generosity uh you know what makes a successful organization successful and you know you get into the uh good to great type of books Mm -hmm. and and all of those things you know that lends itself to good organizations and good organization practices and all of those are applicable to churches Um, you know for me we had systems in place at Anchor that were developed over the years. I, we had an auditing firm in Deloitte that was one of the tops in the in the country in the world, and we hired our we hired our staff auditors onto the accounting team, you know, at, at uh, Anchor. So yeah. we had great best practices, a great team of professionals. So all of that carried over to the church. I, I think what I found when I joined the church that it was kind of mom and popish, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that would describe you know the average mid-sized church or small church uh, in America, and uh, the challenge of bringing uh, kind of more of a, a corporate environment into the uh, accounting and finance areas. But at the same time, uh, it took me a while to understand how to do that, but at the same time, not build a corporate silo and, and to interact with ministry in a way uh, that it was more relational than transactional. And I'd say that if you heard our leadership talk about our ministries, and that's what they are, uh, they would say that we differentiate ourselves in that way is that we're not an accounting department, but we're a ministry. And uh, that's really been you know, what I've come to uh, really be challenged by to create and to lead and, and to maintain because mm. it's easy to go back to, you know, the idea of uh, transactions versus relationships. So uh, relationships are much more important than uh, rules in our world. And uh, we practice what we preach. And unless there's an ethical issue or uh, law or something that we have to follow, we always put relationships over, you know, the, the the work of the systems, if you will. Right. Let's dig more into that, if if you don't mind. Um, maybe a little bit of compare and contrast. So, uh, in the corporate world, we have a transactional style of relationship with people, but in the ministry, as you said, you have it's it's very very relational, and uh, you guys, as you said, work to put uh, the relationship where you can um, over the system. What does that look like? Can you dive into some more details? What does that look like in practice for you guys at Central, maybe in in, in the finance area? Mm-hmm. Well, what I find is that the 
you need to look beyond the black and white. And when we're interacting with the ministries uh, in the world of, say, accounts payable or, or really any area of, of accounting, uh, is to look beyond the numbers and, and to have uh, the ability and the propensity to give not only the leadership, but all of the staff and, and the, on the ministry side, you know, the benefit of the doubt that what they're doing and how they're doing it is, is makes sense, mm -hmm. even when it doesn't make sense, because they are not in the business of, you know, managing invoices and, and, and contracts and the things that we look at, like the back of our hand. There's nuances to us that we understand that they may never understand. Mm. And in interacting with them, you know, we're there to help them win and to help them be successful in the ministry that they're doing. And uh, that has to be the paramount thing that we're doing and not being critical or mm. uh, have expectations that, uh, you know, if there is an error or things don't happen in a timely manner, invoice gets lost in the, you know, the shuffle that. Yeah. somehow uh, that uh, they're bad guys. No, they're, they're doing the best they can, and it's our job to help them and, and serve them. And uh, just having that perspective that we've got their back, uh, we know that, you know, that they're not uh, somehow trying to cir circumvent our systems, um, and we don't really even need to make them understand why we do what we do. We just need mm -hmm. to serve them and, and help them to win, and whatever that takes. We can still accomplish keeping our internal controls and our systems intact and, and serve them at the same time. That's a great foundation to, and a great perspective to have. I think the accounting and finance team as a as a platform or a, a foundation to help serve the other people uh, inside of the church. That's something I've thought a lot about, and it's just really good to hear. Uh, someone with your experience, uh, you know, articulate that uh, a, a little bit and kind of gives me some confirmation. Okay, yes, I, I think maybe we're we're trying to head in the right direction. And I would encourage any church that, you know, has a has a financial team and the accounting side or the giving side or, you know, whatever your structure might look like to try to take on that perspective, because at the end of the day, we're there we are there to support, you know, the ministry and, and the work of introducing people to Jesus, uh, sharing the gospel. And uh, of course, you know, uh, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that um, I, I try to always practice and train, especially with younger or inexperienced staff that don't really get the church world is that, we don't have all the information. We just have a piece of the puzzle, right? Again, if it's an invoice that's mm. coming across someone's desk yeah. or uh, a request for a type of spending, you know, the idea that we would try to uh, judge what they're doing or, or, or try to somehow say, you know, does that make sense? Because we're not the leadership. We're not the people deciding on the programs or how to execute them, right? So yeah. when something comes across our desk, and, and, and I say their desk because it's not my desk, I'm not in the <laughs> weeds like that, but um, to, to do anything other than serve them, but to try to judge them, you know, what I try to say is no matter what you think you know, you don't know it all, you don't have all the information, and you have to give them the benefit of the doubt to help them help you connect the dots, because otherwise you get frustrated. I, I've mm. seen... Uh, over the years, staff be very frustrated because, you know, they are not, they're not just clerks, they're part of the church, they're giving to the church. So they, they somehow have this, you know, thought that, well, this is my money they're spending, you know, how could they spend it in this manner? And it's like, well, you, you don't really understand the program, you don't understand the whole situation. So, you know, you can't look at it in that light, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And there might be a day that you come to understand it, but maybe you never will. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's like many people come into the world of accounting, and I use that term versus finance because accounting is looking at historical records and documents and things like that, and they somehow think they have to be policemen, and uh, that's not our job. So how do you balance? Let's let's keep let's keep going. I like this. I like this rabbit hole we found yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> This is not. This is none of this is in the questions at this point, which is great. I love it. Right. Um, 
so yeah, let's talk on this threat. So how do you balance, um, let's say maybe as a, I don't know, heck as a staff member or maybe somebody in your shoes, not having all the information, trying not to get frustrated when you see something that's exceeded what you guys had planned on. Um, how are you having those types of conversations? How do you wrestle in that tension of not having all the information yet still needing to maintain orderly books, still needing to maintain a budget, um, still needing to maintain you know finances in the black? How are you managing that tension? Yeah, I think it comes down to trusting the leadership trusting that they're executing ministry toward our mission, you know, to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. And that every dollar that we spend goes towards rescuing people and being able to connect those dots. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and sometimes people in the congregation have a hard time with that, right? Like if they don't see how uh, uh, a staff retreat or, uh, a dinner, a planning dinner amongst uh, staff at a nice restaurant, if they can't make that connection to how that money being spent goes towards rescuing people, uh, then, then, you know, they, they just they just don't have the maturity to see that. And we need to have that maturity as well as staff to mm. be able to connect those dots and to be able to trust in uh, leadership and to be able to know that just because they're doing it a certain way it might be different than how you would do it. You know, who made you the boss of the church? And <laughs> and, and, and to have that type of uh, discernment that it's not appropriate, right? Yeah. So one thing that I've, uh, I remember there was a, a lady who was part of uh, the church and her husband was actually one of the elders. And uh, she came to me and she was a bit distressed. And she says, you know, I've got a real issue. I'm like, well, what is that? You know, how can I help you? As well, I don't like how the church is spending the money. I'm like, on what? As well, so she takes up this box we had, and it was a, uh, it was like an ornamentally wrapped box uh, around Christmas time. It looked like a Christmas present, and when you open the box inside, were uh, five invitations and some instructions on how to hand out invitations in mm-hmm. the community. She says, "This is a waste of money." Oh, <laughs> I said, "Well," I said, "I said, well, you know what?" I said, the, the idea that we would invite people to Christmas services, you know, that's the point here. And, and how the strategy to execute that, you know, we don't have to agree with that. And, you know, it's like, it, I look at it as kind of the 70-30 rule, you know, it, what relationship do you have where you agree with 100% of the decision making? Right. You know, if you're married, is that, does, does anybody have a marriage like that where we agree with 100% of that? or any relationship. So why would you think that would be the case in a church environment? So, you know, if you trust the leadership and you can see, you know, eye to eye with 70%, 60%, 80% of the decision-making, then, you know, that's a, that's a comfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. Why would you think that you would agree with a hundred percent of the decisions? So uh, I think that's important to realize uh, as we're in the trenches and we're looking at things that, uh, you know, the idea that you would have a, a meeting of the minds with 100% of the spending or the decision making, mm-hmm. you know, that just would be inappropriate to even expect. So true. And I think that that kind of segues a little bit into one of the questions I had for you in terms of building trust with people. Um, you know, we had talked when we first connected about, um, you know, allowing the books to be to be visible to some extent. Uh, also doing some auditing mm-hmm. and things like that. And and Central actually has, uh, I think you called it a legacy ministry um, that mm-hmm. helps, you know, to fund very specific parts of uh, Central's mission through over and above giving or, or through extra offerings, things like that. And I think from that perspective, and also maybe just a, just a regular giving perspective, you're, you're asking people to give in tithes and offerings uh, or whatever the case may be. How are you building trust with people? You know, you, you had that conversation uh, with the lady. She says, "I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think this is the the appropriate way to spend it." Um, you know, but you're, you're always going to have the critics, right? But how are you actively building trust with people in order to say, "Hey, yes, you can give to this. This is a safe place uh, to contribute to. We're going to use this money uh, in a way that furthers the mission of Central." How are you guys doing that? I, I think the number one way to do that and that we've we strive to do 
is to have open, honest, transparent communication and to create those pathways to do so by making yourself available, by letting them know that any question that you have, you know, we're here and we'll have those discussions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're in in a way to be sensitive to receive whatever questions they have and, and to have dialogue. I mean, there's questions that are inappropriate to ask. And, you know, if they ask those questions, you, know, you can, in a, in a loving way, guide them to an appropriate outcome. Um, so, you know, like when I was the CFO of the publicly traded company, people would ask inappropriate questions all the time. Uh, but before we did a conference call for our earnings release, we would go through and prepare what we called frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. And we would be prepared to answer those. So if you ask me, you know, uh, why did you paint the wall, you know, beige, you know, I, I might not answer that question. I, I might talk about how we, uh, you know, it's important to us to have a welcoming environment, you know, in, in, in all of our areas and um, never get to the question about beige, but just talk about how we bend over backwards to have a, have a church where those who are unchurched can feel comfortable. Right. And, mm-hmm. and not talk about a decision about beige or brown or green <laughs> because that's irrelevant, right? Irrelevant, but so, so relatable, so, so relatable, I think, to probably many pastors and, and church leaders who, uh, as we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, oh, I, I give to this church. So, you know, I, I demand to know how, quote, my money is being spent. And you end up and uh, you end up in conversations like that where that's a good that's a good term inappropriate questions. Um, what does this question have to do with the actual you know mission of the church? And uh, and so often uh, it's it's easy to find yourself in a situation where yeah this question has nothing to do with what's actually going on here um, at the church building. That's right. Can you hear me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good at. Uh... Get rid of those headphones. They're about to expire. Oh, yeah, I can still hear you fine. Well, good. Um, and and then the other thing that uh, we want to do again is be available, um, engage in relationship. Um, I I remember a conversation I had with one of our um, what I would call more significant donors and. Um, he said to me, and this is going back a number of years ago, Paul, he said to me, it'd be nice if you called me uh, sometime when you didn't have to ask me for something. Hmm. And I heard that so loud and clear. Wow. You know, I, 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 I wasn't offended, yeah. but I was grieved by the fact that he would say that. And... You know, so so often we just reach out when there's something that we need, as opposed to just reach out to say, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? How can I provide you a pastoral uh, uh, interaction, right? What, what is it that you need from us? And, and how can we be the church for you? And uh, it, it takes a lot of intentional work and effort to be on the giving side of that so that when you do need something, mm-hmm. you know, either a, recognize it intuitively and come to you without you having to ask, or if you do ask, you know, it's one of many interactions that you've had and you have a relationship with them. Yeah. And remember, since we launched the legacy ministry, it's about three and a half years ago, uh, we've tried to have an annual uh, gathering, a dinner, uh, and uh, you know, our senior pastor, our senior leader comes and, and we talk and, and we share a little bit of vision. We do a lot of storytelling, but after the last one, uh, Judd came to me and said how, how encouraged he was by the meeting because he knew all the people there mm. are all, you know, part of the, the central family, of course, but just part of the core. And 
just the enthusiasm in the room and the um, just the support. Uh, he, he just felt like he, he never had that kind of support before. And, and, and he contrasted that to, you know, years ago when we would have a giving campaign where he was meeting with people. And he just felt like he was pulling teeth. Mm. And uh, what we've said to the legacy team is that we're not going to ask you for money. Uh, we're going to share vision and we're going to move at the speed of the generosity of the central family and the legacy team. And, you know, if they if they're not led to be generous and, you know, those initiatives aren't going to happen and we're not going to we're not going to fret about it. You know, we're not going to have uh, thermometers in the hallways with, you know, what the goal is and how much we've raised. And those <laughs> yeah, and, uh, the legacy team and the central family, you know, doesn't want to fund a, an initiative that. We're sharing vision and well, then it won't be funded. <laughs> it's just pretty simple. That's a, that's a very strong and intentional stance uh, that you're taking there. What, if you don't mind me asking, what drove or what led you to take such a very specific stance on that? I, I think other pastors, other church leaders might say, you know, well, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pulling. Um, why take such a strong stance in that regard? Well, I, I think part of it could be from the negative experience of, you know, prior campaigns, you mm -hmm. know, feeling like you're a rock uphill and, you know, you're just any moment away from it, just, you know, rolling back and crushing you and understanding, you know, sharing vision and including people in that vision, uh, you know, wins people over and, you know, helps them to join the team and uh, just just learning through that experience and coming to that conclusion that uh, it's not our burden to carry. If, if God lays a, um, an initiative or a, a vision on the hearts of the leadership, mm -hmm. it's, you know, up to share the vision best I know how and uh, let God move through the people and not, it's not our job to to do it. It's God's job in the Holy Spirit's. Wow. I want to shift gears a little bit and um, move a little bit away from the giving side of the house. I'd like to move into some of the processes and systems that you guys have uh, built behind the scenes. Obviously, yourself, having had a lot of corporate exposure, uh, and then, you know, moving into the church world, you're able to bring some of those systems and processes with you while, as we said earlier, kind of shifting the mindset into more of a relational aspect rather than a transactional mindset. Uh, I'd like to say that many churches or, you know, maybe some churches are going to have some form of accounting. And when I, when I say accounting, I guess let's just define that real quick. You know, having historical uh, uh, trails of information about, you know, where your money has come in and where it has gone out. So I'm thinking, you know, software like QuickBooks or something like that. If I'm if I'm speaking to a, a smaller organization, you know, they might have a, a basic software like QuickBooks where they can keep track of all their expenses and all of their all of their giving and things like that. But when it comes to actual finance management, I think in and I'm sure you'd agree that it goes a lot further than just, you know, documenting, you know, your expenses and, and documenting what you're giving. You know, we really step into things like uh, actual, a true financial system where you have things like forecasting and, and other things like that in place. What are some of those key financial systems that you've noticed that churches might be missing that they really should be incorporating that, that you, that you have found helpful and foundational to running a church the proper way? Sure. And you mentioned QuickBooks when uh, I started at uh, Central Church. Again, it's over 20 years ago. Uh, we were on QuickBooks. Uh, we had a, a department, a team. They called themselves the finance department. Um, I'm sure I hurt their feelings when I told them they weren't the finance department, but the accounting department. Uh, you know, one of the things that is so important is to have reporting and systems that can generate the reporting that will help the users of the reports make wise decisions and to give them accurate information in a timely manner and that they can rely on those 
reports to be produced when they expect them to be produced and that when they're looking at them that they contain information that's uh, accurate and can be relied upon time in and time again uh, and when i came upon when i came on board that wasn't the case hmm. uh, and there was information that was being supplied and then subsequently uh, discerned to be inaccurate and not reliable. And what happens is leadership will tend to just get frustrated and um, stop asking for information and the information they're giving, they won't trust. And it just mm -hmm. becomes, uh, you know, an untenable situation. Uh, so to create the systems that will generate the financial reporting that uh, is timely and accurate and complete, you know, a financial system, you know, I, I remember that my first day uh, that I met our finance director and we sat down and she was kind of showing me the ropes and we we're going through the financial statements. So, you know, she's showing me this income statement and, you know, I asked to see the balance sheet and, um, you know, it kind of, uh, we were between a rock and a hard place when I asked for the statement of cash flows and, you know, she started crying oh. because they, they didn't exist and I'm not sure she knew what they were. Mm, yeah. And it's like, okay, so, you know, having a system and having an understanding that can produce, you know, a full set of accounting statements is, is so critical because um, without that full circle system, th there's little evidence that the cycle is complete and that all of the numbers make sense. You know, it's like an algebraic equation, you know, if A plus B doesn't equal C, well then how can you rely on A, B or C, right? And, yeah. and that's what the, the statements are. You know, if, if you just have an income statement, which is what our church was doing, and you didn't have a balance sheet or a statement of cash flows, well, then how can you rely on the income statement? You can't. I mean, it's wrong, but more than likely it is. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you get to, well, you know, why, why have an audit, right? And, and what is the purpose of it? And, and, and what is the end to the organization? You know, for the past 10 consecutive years, we've had not only clean opinions, but we've had no management comments and no adjusting journal entries. So what does that tell the users and who are the users of the financial statements, right? The users of the financial statement is leadership, mm -hmm. the board, the elder board. If you have a lending institution, it's the lending institution. But, you know, if you're providing information and reports and financial statements throughout the year, and you get to the year end and there's uh, just in journal entries, well, that tells me that the financial statements that you've been providing and relying on throughout the year weren't accurate. Mm, yeah. So, you know, the fact that you can produce monthly statements that are accurate so that when the audit happens and, you know, an independent third party comes in and reviews your financial statements and audits them, and there's no changes, well, it tells me that you're producing good statements month in and month out, and that's really important. So whatever those systems are that are necessary to generate accurate and timely financial statements, those are the systems you need to have. And your auditors or accounting firm can help you develop those systems if you don't know where to start. Yeah, so let's um, maybe hit some of the fundamentals of that. I'm going to throw a scenario at you, and um, I just want your feedback here. So let's say that I'm a a church plant we've just started we're pretty small we've got a few hundred people attending you know we're mm -hmm. we're making investments in, into the future growth of the church but we don't have a we don't have a reporting system in place what are the foundational reports that churches need to be producing um through what mm -hmm. through their software or system of choice quickbooks or whatever what are those foundational reports that every church needs to be producing at, at least at a fundamental level Sure. And, and, you know, whatever you call them, you can call them flash reports, management reports, but, you know, whatever makes sense in your communication world, uh, you need to know how much cash you have. And I don't mean dollars like that you can touch and feel mm -hmm. like cash and bank, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, 
And the way that you can rely on those numbers is by having, you know, timely and accurate and, and, and meaningful bank reconciliations, right? So that's the system behind, you know, reporting cash. So uh, how much money you have is really important. Uh, what are your accounts payable and having an accurate system for that? Because you might have X dollars in cash, but if you've got, you know, um, accounts payable that are 90% of that X mm-hmm. and you, you're not including that in your reporting, then your cash is overstated by 90%, right? right? So cash and accounts payable, current liabilities, all of those are really important to have a good handle on and a system that will generate that, you know, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with a manual system. When I started in the world of public accounting, you know, there were ledger cards and <laughs> yep. you know, at a hotel casino in Las Vegas, they, they had a, a ledger system, you know, in this manual thing that someone pulled to post journal answers that blew my mind. But, you know, it worked. You know, as archaic as it was, the books were balanced and you could still get timely management reporting. So it doesn't matter if it's a manual system or a a wonderful computer system or QuickBooks. All of that stuff is acceptable. Mm -hmm. It just comes out. Right. And and that something does come out. So in addition to cash and accounts payable, payroll is another area that is extremely important, knowing what your headcount is how many uh, full-time equivalents you have in a small church. It could be the senior pastor, you know, and one admin, you know, so the head count, you know, one and a half, you know, but whatever it is, you need to have a handle on it, what it costs. And and, uh, the other item of course is, you know, what is your revenue or your ties and offerings or whatever it is that generates the money that you're, you know, ends up in the cash and, how you're spending it you know what are your disbursements and what do they consist of and uh you know and all of that flows into the monthly financial statements but yeah cash payroll and revenue those are the three things that you need to have a really good handle on all the time yeah good practical stuff and um yeah thanks for thanks for outlining us uh, that for us uh i think it's going to be particularly helpful for churches that are just getting started pastors that don't have a you know business or a finance background I, that's so so common you know we see they're, they're coming straight into seminary or they're coming straight into bible school or whatever oh, i'm gonna start church now <laughs> and uh you know you can get in trouble real quick if you're not um if you're not managing your money properly and having those financial reports helps you know so much to help you have a good handle on key and keep it managed yeah, and, I, and I'm such a big fan of auditing and auditors. You know, I, I came out of public accounting. I was an auditor and, you know, that's what I did. And so I'm biased in that regard. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of small churches that would argue that they can't afford having an audit. Yeah, I, I would argue that you can't afford not to have an audit. Um, and if you can't have an audit, well, there's other levels of review and compilation by outside accounting firms that will help you prepare to be ready for an audit uh, at some in the future. Uh, if you ever want to borrow money from a lending institution, um, some may require an audit, some may not. Uh, if you're going to have a board member uh, that you know comes from the marketplace that is going to provide some level of uh, counsel or expertise, you know, they would expect that you would have an audit. So mm. there's there's lots of reasons why you would have an audit. You know, I don't think there's a specific dollar amount that your church has, you know, revenue in excess of 100000 or 500000 or a million that somehow the light comes on and say, well, now I need an audit. Right. You know, audits for a small church um, to have a set of audited financial statements you know, may cost $3,000 for an annual fee, um, a little bit more uh, over time. That's going to grow with the, mm-hmm. the station and how that grows. Our audit fee from when I started to what it is now is probably five times what it was as we've grown. Wow. So I want to back up just a little bit. I can hear, I can hear uh, fresh pastors or, or, or fresh uh, church leaders saying, "Okay, I know what the word audit, you know, definition is, but uh, what? Let's let's just break it down. 
a financial audit. What is that comprised of? And I think we've already talked about why it's important. Let's just let's let's hit what what the audit is comprised of, and who's doing it. Like what? Uh, so what do the auditors do while they're out doing field work? Yeah. So if they were to come to your church, uh, you know, what would you what would you be expecting from them? Yeah. So so the audit consists of planning. You know, meetings with management to find out you know what systems are in place and how you run the financial aspects of the church. And then they come out and they do field work where they test the systems of internal controls to see if, you know, what you say you're doing is actually being done. Mm. And then uh, the financial reporting process where they would uh, review your financial statements uh, um, or in some cases prepare the financial statements. So depending on how sophisticated your accounting and finance team is, um, when I started at Central, the auditors, you know, talk about adjusting journal entries, the, the auditors were preparing the entries to record depreciation. And, mm. uh, you know, if you have an asset, you, you have a system. Okay, so for us, you know, maybe a smaller church, um, it might be much less. But for us, unless we have something that costs $1,000 or more, it's not going to become a fixed asset. Uh, anything under that would be automatically expensed. But, um, the auditors were preparing the journal entries to book fixed assets and record depreciation. So, um, you know, you can rely on your auditors to do all sorts of stuff, but over time you want to embrace those things and try to have the accounting. Hmm. Even if there is such a team, it could be a one man show. Right. And, 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 and depending on if you have a one man show or one person team, um, well, then how can you have systems of internal controls where you have segregation of duties and things like that? It's like, well, it's impossible because there's just one person. You know, you can also outsource some of these things. You can outsource payroll. You can outsource uh, accounts payable. You can outsource lots of things that mm-hmm. uh, would burden off of a small church that would want to have adequate controls and, and systems that they can't have because they don't have enough people. One thing that, and I know I'm getting off on the tangent here, but I, I remember the early conversations I was having with our, our accounting uh, director. She was a director of finance is what she called herself, but um, you know, she would have a tension to manage of the workload versus the staff and, and what the staff could do. And I asked the state, I asked the question, well, why don't you have a volunteer do this? And her response was, well, a volunteer can't do this. So, well, why? Well, because you need a staff person to do this. I'm like, are you saying you can't trust a volunteer? You can't train a volunteer? You know, what is the gap? Like, why couldn't a volunteer, you know, um, write a check or reconcile a bank account or even administer payroll? I mean, like, what what is the level of confidentiality or, or responsibility that you say that it has to be a staff person, you know? Um, what about the idea of an unpaid staff, right? Like, so let's call them staff. Let's just not pay them. Right? It's like, <laughs> all those, it's like, okay, you just have to, you just have to have some type of um, acceptance to receive, you know, you've got qualified people in the community that want to serve at the church that, mm-hmm. that, probably more about accounting and finance than, you know, you do, right? So right. let's bring them, let's put them to work. And, and uh, you know, you've got people who have bookkeeping um, firms and practices that, you know, want to serve at the church. Well, let them do bookkeeping, right? So all of that is available to the church. You just have to, you know, you have to be open to receiving it and, and not have a preconceived notion that no we have to have a staff person do this well no you don't have to have a staff person do everything that i think that bit of the conversation was worth the price of admission to this podcast episode I, and i mean you're talking directly to me too so i'm a volunteer at, the, at, at my church mm-hmm. you know, I, I, i'm on our board i'm our treasurer and all that and I, I manage the systems that we do have uh, financially but one thing i've been struggling with uh that you've just spoken to this uh, directly to this about is you know, who else can I trust to be a volunteer to help me do this? And we finally sat down with, with my pastor and our operations uh, person the other day, and we said, we've got to build, you know, a team up underneath you because 
uh, we're growing, you're not able to do everything that needs to be done on your own. Right. And so for me, yeah, that was just a little bit of uh, just some free advice uh, from somebody far more Here's experienced than me. You have a volunteer team come in. We used to have them come in on Sundays and um, count the offering. And, you know, we have staff people and we have volunteers. Yep. The volunteers will count the cash and sort the cash and all of that. And the, the checks would be put in a pile and the staff person would manage the checks and input the checks into our uh, giving system. And they would tell me that the volunteers couldn't do that. And I'd be like, well, why not? Well, because the giving information yep. and names, so what? Right. It's like <laughs> you have a training and, a, you know, confidential things being confidential, uh -huh. right? It's like just because they're a volunteer doesn't right. mean they can't, like, what are they going to be doing over the checks? Or the, you know, it's like, come on, they're, they're processing checks, so it's okay. Yeah, that's such good advice. And if you're a small church, mid-sized church, and you're struggling with the exact same thing, yeah, just let uh, let exactly what, what Jeff is saying break that mentality uh, for you and gain yourself some time back and, uh, you know, use that extra time that you've got that your volunteers are taking away for you and, and put it towards uh, other areas of your mission. Make something, make your systems better. Do something with it. That's, that's such great advice. Yeah, I remember even even in the world of anchor gaming, you know, we had that tension to manage, you know, the work's not getting done, our controller is beside herself, you know, at some point, you can't work more hours, yep. you, you know, maybe you can't work smarter. So, and, and we never had an issue with cash at anchor gaming, we had $100 million in the bank, we had the problem of how we could deploy it to mm. uh provide value to our stockholders and it was a challenge to do that and our our, our controller was struggling and i'm like we'll hire more staff well i don't have time to train them i'm like okay you know you're the problem it's not <laughs> that's the problem and the same thing happens in the church is you know i don't have time to train the volunteers i don't have you know volunteers can't do these things well they, yes they can and you need to find it if all you do as a staff person on church is lead volunteers, then that's a pretty good job. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's so good. And I think going to be freeing for anybody that uh, is actually willing to take that advice and run with it. Um, yeah, I'm glad we went there. That was uh, a really, really helpful portion of this conversation. Um, yeah. I want to end that's with one. Go ahead. People, right? Well, you know, how many people don't have the skill set to lead and train volunteers? So maybe that maybe you have the wrong person uh, in the wrong seat, mm. um, and and you need to determine that. One thing that I, I want to share is that at Central, like my job, for instance. Okay, so I'm the CFO. I'm the treasurer. I'm the pastor of the Legacy Ministry. Um, within my role, I lead the administration team that's benefit administration. I, I lead the infrastructure of uh, our information systems. I lead the accounting and finance team, and I lead the generosity team. Um, now, if you were building a church, would you build a church where the CFO, the treasurer, you know, is also a pastor and does all of the things that I do? Well, probably not. The reason that I do what I do is because it's within my gift mix and the talents that I have. And this role that I have has been developed over 20 years. It's not something you would just say, okay, this is how I'm going to build a church. And many of our roles are built around the talents and the skills of the people in them. So over the years, we have a person that, you know, we need you to lead volunteers. Okay, well, I can't lead volunteers. Okay, well, then, you know, what, how can we build a job that, is within their strength mix so yeah. that you know this idea that you need to develop your weaknesses well why for what purpose it's like okay let's develop our strengths and work in our area that we're strong and 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 fill in you know like a jigsaw puzzle build the staff so that you know all of the work is getting done the volunteers are being led and the people are happy in their jobs as opposed to having a job where you know 50% of what I do, I don't like, well, maybe it should be 20%, right? Because right. we can't like everything we do. Right. But anyway, 
I think that's really important as you, you know, grow, grow beyond a staff of two, you know, how that all comes out in the wash. Uh, also more sage uh, advice, no pun intended, Jeff. Um, <laughs> you probably heard that joke a time or two. <laughs> uh, yes, more uh, very, very sound advice, especially for smaller churches that are growing. Um, like my, my churches, again, I'm getting some free therapy and some free coaching here. So um, I really appreciate you uh, delving into that. And uh, trying to think, yeah, I think we're up against the clock. So, uh, yeah, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Um, people may want to get in contact with you uh, via any way. I don't think you're on social. Are you on social media at all? Do you interact with people there? I have Instagram. Uh, I think I'm Jeff in LV on Instagram. I don't do Facebook. Um, we don't have time to share why, but uh, <laughs> it's so freeing when I close my Facebook account. Or didn't reopen it. Uh, it was very funny, but I'm on Instagram. My email is jeff at centralonline.tv. Uh, my cell phone number is 702-808-5323. I'm very accessible. Yes, yes, Jeff is. And uh, I experienced that just just in my on my own hand uh, whenever I was first connecting with you, Jeff. And I appreciate you being so open and honest about your experiences and some of the things that you've learned uh, over your 40 years in the uh in the gaming and then in the church world and in the finance arena so thank you so so much for coming on this has been really really beneficial um i, I really enjoyed having you on oh it's been uh, my pleasure thank you for the invitation and i sure hope your listeners uh, find some nuggets uh, from what we discussed that will help them be successful and their church and uh, serving uh, their uh, their volunteers, their uh, congregation, and uh, most importantly, their leadership who is trying to uh, you know spread God's word uh, throughout their community. I think they will. Thanks, Jeff. God bless. Bye, bye, Paul. Man, that conversation was fun and so great to learn from somebody who's had such a lifetime of experience in finance and accounting both in corporate and in the church world. I just love how he blends those two worlds together, bringing the systems in from the corporate world and bringing the relationship in from the church world. My top takeaway was volunteers helping to manage the church finances. I'll be honest, that's something personally that I have struggled with recently and I'm beginning to change my mind about, especially after talking with Pastor Jeff building a volunteer team to help with things like offering counting, to help with things like uh, you know, finance and accounting even, those who are actually skilled, who are CPAs, who are bookkeepers, who have those skills that they can bring to the table and serve God with. Raise up a team of volunteers. You can trust them, obviously vet them, make sure that you can trust them, but it's okay to bring volunteers into your finance management process at your church. Save some money. You don't need a ton of staff to help you manage that, especially if you're a small or a mid-sized church. If you enjoyed this conversation, can you do me a big favor? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a rating and review. It helps get the word out. helps get the show exposure. helps other church leaders benefit from the content and the conversations that we're having with some of the church world's top financial and executive pastor leaders. Hope you enjoyed our conversation today, and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.